Welcome to Speaking in Strong Style, where we discuss the news, issues, and events surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. Welcome back. We're happy to be here live on YouTube. I am Stephen Conway, along with Jeremy Finestone, as always. It has been one of the busier weeks I can think of in wrestling for a while, and we saw some really good stuff. Uh, Jeremy, you were at the AEW pay-per-view live. Uh, there was a raft of shows from just about every company doing really interesting stuff. This has been a fun week to be a wrestling fan. Uh, are, you, are you caught up? Do you have your breath back? <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Last week, I came in here uh, guns blazing about having to watch 12 hours of wrestling, a fantastic mania. And then all of a sudden I got to come in here and answer like, how'd you feel about watching all that wrestling this week? And I'm like, honestly, it was pretty fucking great. It was yeah. pretty fucking great. <laughs> I'm yeah. exhausted. Uh, it's one of those just like, it's a whirlwind of wrestling, and you have to take notes and be on top of everything. Uh, I have to admit, uh, Conway's going to help me along with a couple of matches that I wasn't able to catch because, well, <laughs> I'm a grown man with other obligations. But uh, I got through the, the nuts and the bolts of it. AEW Revolution was great live. Um, we could touch on that maybe later if we got time, but let's talk to New Japan, man. Yeah, we, we divided and conquered a little bit. Like I said, Jeremy was in attendance there. You've had some, I mean, you've been able to, not only have you been seeing great stuff on TV, you've been at great stuff live. I mean, they, these people just keep coming into your backyard with these I'm great shows. not complaining. And uh, no. it appears that I'm going to double or nothing now too. So uh, man, man. Uh, this is, the, the street continues, my friend. We shall continue on at Sally Forth. With the quality but we have plenty of New Japan to talk about. We're going to talk about the, the two main shows. Of course, the first two nights of the New Japan Cup, one of which was the anniversary show, which had a wonderful tag team title match at the end of it. Uh, some news. We've got some hints at the Bullet Club's future, but not the full story yet. And we mm -hmm. have some future title matches set up. So uh, more questions than answers in a good storytelling way. They set up things that's going to pay off down the road. So uh, we're going to take a look at those. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, Ring of Honor, and then uh, we'll we'll go into some other things from there. But uh, if you're ready to kick in, let's just go ahead and do it, and we'll start with the the fifth, the Corican Hall, the first <laughs> night of the New Japan Cup. How about those bracket busting right out the gate? <laughs> Man, I was sweating, and we're going to talk about that. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that whole thing. So let's <laughs> Corican Hall on the fifth. We'll we'll sure. go very uh, some come uh, up with some very quick things here. The, the undercard was was good. There, there was good wrestling on this undercard. Uh, but we are going to uh, move through it re relatively quickly with just some notes because we got a lot to talk about. Uh, and so we'll start with that. Uh, the Mighty Don't Kneel, that would be uh, Zack Sabre and Kosei Fujita in this case, defeated Tama Tonga and Ryohei Oiwa in the opener. Uh, this was good stuff, um, uh, particularly from Tama Tonga and Zack Sabre Jr. He uh, mentioned something Tama Tonga did in the post-match comments where he says he's aging in reverse. He seems to be getting younger. I think he's right. Uh, it seems like everybody who gets in the ring with it has a little bit of a, it has a fresh look and a fresh feel to it. So uh, we'll see uh, if there's anything that comes to that, but it was mostly just a, a little match at the beginning there. Uh, and then we had uh, Shota Umino, Ren Narita, Taguchi, and Master Wato uh, defeating the House of Torture. House of Torture still struggling. That's part of the story that they're going. Uh, this was a little bit better than usual. Uh, Dick Togo really kind of on fire in this match was feeling his Wheaties. He was good in this one. After that, we had the Bullet Club, Kenta, Chase Owens, and Ghetto. This is Chase Owens' first time back in quite a while, uh, beating Minoru Suzuki, El Desperado, and Yuto Nakashima. So they didn't have the full trios champion. Of course, Ren Narita was in the match before. We just mentioned that. So uh, Nakashima was there to do the job and uh, just to get Chase Owens over again. Package pile driver, of course, it's 
going to be important, Jeremy, to have the guys in the Bullet Club around for a couple of weeks. We have some, we have some things to, we have some storylines, we have some twists and turns to execute. Just really impressed that Ghetto, Ghetto managed to get himself out of these multi-man tags for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Very slick on his part, I got to admit. By the way, I was watching, I went back, a uh, throwback, speaking of Ghetto. Sure. Uh, and I've been going back and watching old matches too. And th- I don't know when I sleep. I don't necessarily, but uh, I, I went back and saw uh, like a six man, eight man tag or something from Wrestle Kingdom in 2011. I, that's how far back I'm going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the matches on there involved Tamatanga on one side and Ghetto on the other. And this is before the formation of Bullet Club or anything else. And Ghetto and Jado were in this match, and Ghetto was absolutely cut. I just like he was in phenomenal shape. The other thing was, I didn't realize this that Tamatanga, when he first got to New Japan, was just doing a Jimmy Snuka gimmick. Absolutely, yeah. Jimmy. He and the bare feet with the, the print, uh, uh the, the, the target has come a long way, man. <laughs> he did the whole thing where he did the leapfrog and then the chop coming off exactly like Snuka. I mean, not even trying to make it his own. I mean, that was where he was. And to see him go from doing it, a tribute act. And to... it worked for Snuka out the gate. It worked for, it worked for Tamatonga. And, you know, in a lot of ways, he faked it till he made it. I you guess know? so. I think that's true. Yeah. He, he, he's at the level that he, I believe, always felt that he could be at, but was never given the opportunity because there was so much like depth at the top of the New Japan card. But he has stayed healthy and he stayed sustainable for all this time. And now these opportunities are opening up. And he is just, he's chopping at the bit, man. He is, he is every bit the a main event star that he is compelling everyone to believe that he is. And I, I agree with you. He's really come on very, very strong right here and feels fresh. And Brad Reader mentions did Ren or Evil even get in that match? Feels like neither did. This one was quick. It was only eight minutes. and Well, no, that one was 10 minutes and four seconds. And it was uh, a lot of Dick Togo and uh, a lot of uh, Watto in that one. Watto, I think, ended up winning that one with the Vindable. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, early matches. Some people have nights off. That's kind of how a lot of those uh, a lot of those work, and certainly in this case. So after that, we had Shingo Takagi, Hiromu Takahashi, and Bushi taking on the Chaos Trio of Toru Yano, Yo, and Leo Rush. Now, this was a pretty standard by-the-numbers thing. It only went 6 minutes and 12 seconds. Shingo won it with a backslide on Yano. Never minding all of that, the stuff between Leo and Takahashi was as exciting as I was hoping it would be. And I'm really looking forward to this match. They met again on the undercard of the anniversary show and the quickness of these two. Now, of course, Hiromu, as far as I know, still holds the record in the new Japan dojo and they're in uh, the Noge neighborhood of uh, uh, Tokyo as the fastest right. uh, sprint. Just like he has the fastest time in the sprint in history. Uh, Leo, is one of the quickest human beings I've ever seen do anything, let alone pro wrestling, as far as just that goes. And uh, the stuff with him was really exciting. So uh, rather pedestrian match for the most part, except for the stuff between those two, which was a lot of fun to watch. And I keep bumping my microphone. Seasoned professional here. Uh, we have uh, Chaos <laughs> up next. I'm going to pop forward. Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. Uh, they defeated Kazushiko Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Tomowaki Honma. Take a wild guess who did the job in that one. Uh, that was Ishii over Honma. Uh, good stuff there, but it, it did have a lot of steam. Okada and Tanahashi seemed to have a little bit more. You know that they will 
not sleepwalk. That's not fair. But they will go through the motions in their bro. They could be on their first, second, or third gear, yeah. and they'd be other people's fourth gear. It's just one of yes. those things that they they are mechanics in the ring, and they know what to do, and they know how to how to get this kind of match over. And it was just a preview for the next day. It was, and it was three or four moves each usually, but they did a little bit more on this one. I think they they had, I think they understood the situation a little bit more. That I thought that they did more in this match, and it went thirteen minutes. It was a longer match than usual before he finished off Honma, and then we got to the New Japan Cup. Woo! So we opened up the New Japan Cup with a match that was either going to <laughs> make or break us from the very beginning. First match. Now I said on this uh, show last week that I thought. Uh, after we went through our whole bracket with the voting with Scott Edwards, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I thought that Naito was going to win this tournament. I think he, I, I, I thought I, that was what I said right then. You thought El Fantasma was due for a deep run. So one of us was going to be wrong. One was going to Jeremy scared the living hell out of me. It was a hell of a match. It was, but I felt I felt good at the beginning. So this match starts here. This is the very the opening of the New Japan Cup, and it's a biggie. And it, it felt good with me early with ELP on a lot of early offense because I, I one of the things that I, I tell I, I say it so often that my girlfriend sometimes finishes a sentence for me and she's not uh, she enjoys wrestling but doesn't follow it the way I do and I just said well you know ELP's on offense for ten minutes here and she's just like oh he's losing <laughs> and because so, you know you know like when somebody sells sure. and sells and sells it's you know. But you, you read the page of the match, and you're like, wow, they're making the person look real good. <laughs> really they, uh, good. They're they probably were not winning. <laughs> some terrific highlights, though. Phantasmo had uh, a dive from that platform that the bleachers are on, on the when the hard cameras, the, the bleachers that you face with the hard camera. So they're always on the background with the hard camera at Corican Hall. Dove from those bleachers, that stage there, onto Naito. Then he did an Orihara moonsault. And a nice little touch from El Fantasmo where he climbed up and then like Muto with the Tokyo Dome climbed back down like he couldn't do it. And then, of course, <laughs> sprung right up to the top rope and hit the Orihara Moonsault. Nice touch. I liked it. That that jumping kayfabe 25-foot uh, leap from the audience onto Naito, <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was an entertaining uh, junction of the match as well, just... They they were they were operating to make you think that ELP was going to win this match. For a that lot. was the story, and he kicked out of a Destino late, which I thought, oh, and 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 at this point, I'm thinking, oh God, you know, like I'm in big trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> and so then Naito tried a second Destino, but ate a super kick. The super kick has been a kill shot for ELP lately, mm -hmm. but he tried for the CR two, got rolled up, and uh, I was really sweating considering my pick. But in the end, Naito did manage to get the Destino. And he did get the win in 17 minutes, 32 seconds of a wonderful match. This was really good stuff from these two. And uh, Naito survives. And the story, again, with El Fantasmo that went on into the anniversary show is that he's a little bit down in the mouth still and not real confident in Bullet Club's future. That came into play again the next night. Uh, but uh, they're not ready to put the rocket onto Fantasmo yet, but I think it's coming. I don't know if they are doing the star scream to Megatron where he's just like trying to like undermine the leader that seems to be David Finley coming on up or no, if they are, if they are looking to turn him face and make him a, uh, a top baby face for the company uh, going forward, just 
getting betrayed by Bullet Club. So there's a couple of different avenues that I feel like they may be going with here. They did everything in their power to make you believe that this guy was probably going to be one of the top contenders for the Bullet Club leadership. And then all of a sudden, in one night, in one match, they took all those plans, ripped it all up, and threw it into the air and said, ha ha, you think you know what's going on in New Japan? You don't know it is interesting what he said in backstage comments when he said that he is not leadership material. He's the class clown. Mm-hmm. Now that again, that can go a couple of different ways here. And so, uh, and we're going to get into that more when we talk about the anniversary show, but that was how that left off with him taking a loss and saying he wasn't leadership material. Yeah. And that was before we knew what was going to happen at the anniversary show. So Moving to that, the final match of the night, this is one that we debated a lot. And uh, another one where you have two guys at a bit of a crossroads. Neither one of these guys is on a roll going into this match. Uh, Both of these guys are in a bit of a funk. And Taichi with just four guys, they're not having much success, which is the story. Sonata, while other members of LIJ are doing well, he's just kind of floating along and taking some losses he doesn't feel like he should be taking. Going into this one, who was going to continue his journey toward rock bottom? Who maybe is ready to get the run? We were absolutely torn on this. This was one of the closest matches to pick in the first round, wasn't it, Jeremy? And it came down to two guys that worked a match differently. Of course, we've talked many times in this show. These guys are friends socially. They talk about how they like each other pretty openly. And to the point that I thought they were moving toward a tag team. Might still. Yeah. There was no peck popping. There was no joking before the match. Both men wrestled this like, this is important. I'm in a slump. I need to get out of this slump. No screwing around, right? Mm -hmm. Early on, there was a bare floor DDT from Taiichi. He pulled up the the, uh, pads, the mats there, and uh, DDT'd uh, Sonata on the floor. Taiichi really went to work on Sonata and Sonata was selling, selling, selling. There's the pattern again, right? But Taichi was verbally questioning Sonata's heart. And uh, we had Chris Charlton translating for us, thankfully, because it did matter. And he was saying things like, come on, you don't want it, do you? You know, you're like, you just, you got no heart. And he was just saying these things. And then finally, finally, after all this, Sonata fired up and the crowd was into it. When he fired up, the crowd popped for it. He fought Taichi into the crowd and gave him a pile driver on the floor. The crowd loved that. All right. Sonata's showing a little bit of heart here. Back, They got back in the ring. They fought until Taichi managed to get a ghetto clutch for a fabulous near fall there. There was a long skull end spot. Uh, and then he lets go of that, hits the moonsault to the back, moonsault to the front. You think, okay, there it is. This is over with. Nope. Taichi kicks out, which is I wasn't expecting. Uh, there was a super kick tight by Taichi that actually did get a three count, but it wasn't the finish. So Red Shoes had to pretend it wasn't, <laughs> but he had, it was absolutely all three, Oops. but you know, yeah. <laughs> we're going with it. But, uh, after a series of counters that led to Sonata hitting Sonata, hitting the black Mephisto on Taichi. And then he hit his own move, which is new. He has a yeah, new Yeah. What move was here. that? It looked like a DDT. Yeah, it was, it, it looked like he starts off like a sister Abigail or a crossroads. And instead of, you know, or a blade runner, that type of move where he'd kind of turn the guy over, but it ends up in a DDT position. Uh, it was something different, and he has not named it yet. He said he might need help on that social media. That was the first time, now. right? 
First time we've seen it. Right. And I uh, got the pinfall there. So, uh, yeah, it was, you know, we, and Brad mentions that afterwards, there was some sportsmanship there. Again, the, the mutual respect between these two is well-established. Uh, instead of just the fist bump, they got the full-on handshake with the eye contact. And uh, I, I agree with Brad here. I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Taichi's group as they continue to just sputter. Uh, those guys are too talented for that long term. That's not what this is. It's just them setting up something else for the future. And then, Jeremy, do you feel like maybe we accidentally somehow managed to get this right? And Sonata's going to go on a long run in this tournament. I kind of thought he was already because. Yeah, you were uh, you advocated for that early. Yeah, Taichi already had the setup for being a just four guy. So yeah, whatever his positioning in the 2023, he was established, but Sonata hadn't been. So if you're going to move with Taichi and just leave Sonata in the dust, you're you're essentially moving him lower down the card, which you don't want to do. Mm. So for me, it always felt like Sonata was the guy to move forward. Now, how far he moved forward with that bracket at Kenta and Naito. And then eventually the other bracket that could be Narita, Cobb, Evil, or Osprey, uh, at the very least, you know, it's like he's got an uphill battle before he faces the other side of the uh, of the New Japan Cup. But for now, it feels like they're starting to change with Sonata's fortune and momentum. So that was at Corken Hall on the fifth. The one thousand three hundred seventy-one uh, reported attendance there, which is a very good crowd for the way New Japan set up sets up uh, Corken Hall. So that's a good number there. They're still not putting people up in the galleries. That's the one thing that's hurt, that uh, is kind of limiting attendance there a little bit. I think when when you let everybody into the joint and all nooks and or crannies, I think you can get twenty-one hundred in that place. I think I remember seeing that back in the day when before. People had big sets, and and uh, the gallery was still open. You could get over 2,000 in that little building, which seems amazing. I've been in Corican Hall. I've been lucky enough to go there, and it uh, it's a wonderful room. And just when if you but if you to say that there are 2,000 people in it, it would probably surprise you. The the 2,000 seat arenas are, are. I'm a big fan. Big fan. Oh yeah, you know, it's a fan. Yeah, a wonderful atmosphere, and it sounds great in there. And the history seeps out of the pores of that building. You're I, I you're very aware every company of note and every wrestler of note that has ever gone through Japan's wrestled in that building. You There's can just feel it for it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in the steps, if you take the steps and I recommend you take the steps and not the elevator, uh, even though it's five floors up, but uh, all the autographs and the things that people have written on the walls uh, on the, it's just kind of a little uh, wrestling culture. Uh, thing speaking, speaking of steps, uh, David Finley's video, his new video that he has, he hmm. has a a little bit of a, a, a cut in there of him coming down the steps somewhere. And um, that is the San Jose Civic in which he filmed a couple oh. of vignettes of him doing a walk here or a walk there. But I ah. went up and down that stairwell uh, a few times. And I'm like, that go. is 100% the San Jose Civic in his, uh, in his video that he's walking through the hallways. A little bit of trivia there. there That's pretty cool. So the next night was the anniversary show, the 51st anniversary of New Japan Pro Wrestling in the building in which it all began, the Oda Ward Gymnasium. And uh, this was one, uh, about 2,000 people here for this one, not quite a sellout, which surprised me a little bit. But if you look at it on paper, it was a three-match card. You had the two New Japan, the New Japan Cup matches mm -hmm. and uh, the main event, which was the tag team title match. And we're going to get through that. We're going to go through this undercard here quickly, uh, but Real it didn't quick, sell... Let me ask you this. Ask yeah, you this. okay, go ahead. Yeah. Was the main event your favorite match on the show? Yes, but barely. It was the, not the, 
The last two. The it was the last two. Oh I, no, that tag match with the junior. That was, good stuff. that was a good match, man. It's a good show. <laughs> it was a good show. It, it opened up with a match that does end up, I think, mattering, even though it was just kind of a quickie there. But we had the Bullet Club of Kenta and El Fantasmo, solid opener. Uh, Kenta defeated uh, Fujita, Kosei Fujita, of course. Uh, he's the young lion in this match. But they foreshadowed with the ELP uh, saying that there's something in the back going on, and they kind of rushed out after the victory. In post-match comments, Phantasmo said very clearly that he was not happy about what he found in the back. We'll get to that, right? And Kenta has not taken a side at all. In fact, has had no comment on it. Uh, his post-match comments the last couple of days have been as funny as always, uh, where he made fun of uh, Kazuchika Okada tripping over the name of the event in the past, which did happen, where he called it the, the was it the New Japan Puck instead of the New <laughs> Japan Cup. It, it, just, a, just a trip, which, sure. uh, which uh, Kenta has seized upon and... Uh, was doing that. Uh, his his comments are always some of the highlights. So Ken is really funny. Uh, but in the meantime, we don't know which side his character is on in all this. And so, you know, that was something that we ran into there. Uh, the United Empire. Will Ospreay. Kyle no, Fletcher. hold up, hold up. Oh, no, oh you want to something? On, Fujita, on the Fujita. Fujita looked really good yes. in this match. He looked like he he was hanging with the rest of the guys. And this was mm. the first of three times in the last 24 hours. Two by Kevin Kelly and one on WWE, where the announcers went out of their way to call wrestlers comic book nerds in North America. And I was like, what is happening here? Why are you coming after it? Kevin Kelly, I don't know if he had, like, he's got an axe to grind with his, like, North American promotion and some of the, the wrestlers there. But he went out of the way to bury, like, just general North American wrestlers. And I was like, this is weird. I hope we come back to this at some point. I hope this is a build or something. With that said, the rest of this match, I really, really enjoyed. I will really like TMDK. Mm-hmm. And I think Kenta is, I don't know, 2023, 2023, 2023, I feel has reinvigorated Kenta to some extent. And I don't know what exactly has motivated him, but I feel like there is a pep in his step when he is wrestling lately. Match number two was the United Empire, Will Ospreay, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis facing Tamatanga, Toriyano, and Satoshi Kojima. Uh, this is one where Osprey finished off uh, Kojima there. And uh, this was high energy. I thought United Empire worked very hard. Every time Fletcher and Davis come in, I think they work really hard, like they're uh, trying to impress everyone. And, of course, they are. But mm-hmm. uh, it almost wrestles. Uh, they're almost wrestling as if they want to make sure they get invited back. I think you're safe, boys. Pretty good, yeah. Uh, but uh, I appreciate the effort. Goodness knows. I mean, this was a, a number two on the card six man tag, and uh, they were working very hard in this match. Uh, and it, it was enjoyable, but of course, Osprey, Fletcher, and Davis all have big singles matches coming. They were going to be made to look strong, and uh, and got the win over Kojima there. So uh, just solid work, and we'll see where they go because there's that uh, interesting potential there, Jeremy, for a United Empire matchup in the second round. I, I think United Empire has a lot of potential in here. I saw these guys live on Friday night in San Francisco, and then they wrestled on <laughs> Sunday night, Monday morning in Japan, 48 hours later at the anniversary show. They weren't able to make it for the one before Revolution. A lot of people wanted them on the Revolution card because they were in the town anyways. But, you know, I was paying attention to the New Japan, New Japan Cup 
uh, an elk that can and match with it can do that. Unfortunately, they weren't going to be anywhere near Revolution, but I think that's okay. Because if I were to guess anything within the next two months, it is that the next time we see Aussie open in AEW, they'll be uh, carrying some IWGP tag title gold with them. Everybody thinks Bishamon's a bunch of putzes, I'm telling you. I'm arguing oh, against man, it. They I got think, three months with that I'm run, and they you, just took out Okada and Tanahashi. They're the made, point. man. They're that's good. The point. That's <laughs> the point I'm trying to make. That's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, so we had next, uh, Strong Style, the trio's champions. Belt's not on the line, but they defeated the House of Torture, Evil, Show, and Dick Togo in this case. Uh, Desperado won it with a pinche loco on Dick Togo. This was a solid match. Uh, Ujiro was working with Shota Umino later, so he wasn't in it to slow it down. <laughs> and fact of the matter is, when Evil isn't doing his endless shenanigans, he's still a pretty good wrestler. Show's terrific, and so's Togo. So, pretty good match. The most important thing is, afterwards, Evil attacked Ren Narita. And actually, they beat down all three members of the group afterwards but uh evil in particular gave the uh the wrap the chair around the neck and then hit it with another chair uh baseball swing on ren narita so not done with that yet but if this is the house of torture team jeremy the match them the matches the action gets an upgrade with dick togo over yujiro takahashi and and while uh Nobody's upset about seeing Peter, uh, at least not in this seat anyway. Uh, Yujiro is one of the only bad wrestlers in New Japan. So uh, if they want to replace him in this feud with Dick Togo, then, then the matches will at least be better. I really don't want to go right back to House of Strong Style and House of Torture uh, again, because that's where no. we did, even if we're just flip-flopping through a couple of the uh, roster switches. It's no disrespect to House of Torture. They do what they do well, but there are mm. other factions and there are mm. other directions that we could be going with this. And uh, you, you don't have to slow your roll on Ren Narita, but you do have to make a make a priority of pushing him along with Shota Umino and Kosei Fujita and, and all the other guys that they have right now. Um, that's really just my takeaway of this is like, it feels like a wheel spinning exercise with with all the guys just keeping the program going because it's lower on the card right now. If you were going to do a six man thing and you want to keep Narita, Suzuki, and Desperado as the clear baby faces in it, mm-hmm. then to me a better choice might be the Chase Owens Bad Luck Fale uh, part of Bullet Club. I would rather see that, I guess, than than go back to House of Torture again. But you know, we'll see how that. It's a one and done at Sakura Genesis, and we're just you know after I'm assuming Evil might get a win over Ren Narita and kind of set that up again. Um, It gets Minoru Suzuki on the card. It gets Desperado. It gets a lot of these really popular guys there. It's just you know, it feels wheel spinny. I don't know. That's that's the best way I can put it. Well, they might, you know, and and it's a it's a fair. In all fairness to Ghetto, maybe you don't burn a really good, uh, never a six man never sure. open way thing on a loaded show anyway, right? Sure. You, you, you just do that, and then your really good match. You save that for maybe when you don't have a friggin' loaded show. And I think Sakura Genesis is going to be pretty, uh, pretty, pretty well. It'll be eventful, that's for sure. It's going to be eventful, exactly. So uh, next up, we had a special tag team match: Yo and Leo Rush against Hiromu Takahashi and Bushi. 
again, this was fabulous. Uh, and uh, Bushy absolutely kept up with these guys. And uh, Yo, you mentioned it in a, a private chat we had before we did the show. Yo looks cut, shredded. Huge. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, this was terrific. Again, more with Rush and uh, Takahashi. The key is to make Rush look as strong as possible leading up to his challenge. Uh, Hiromu's a made man. So Rush got the win here over Bushy. We've mentioned many times Bushy, the only poor guy in LIJ that's not protected. So he has to do a lot of those uh, jobs. If you were to, if I were to guess that it was yell as a baby face chasing Leo Rush for the junior IWGP junior title, heavyweight title at Wrestle Kingdom next year, would you call me crazy? No, I wouldn't. And I, I, I don't, I'm not saying I, that's exactly where it's going to go, but no, I don't think it's crazy. Yeah, I, I, think, I think a lot of things are heading in that direction. Uh, everybody has an edge. Hiromu has nothing left to prove when it comes to that division. Uh, he's a perennial in there, but at some point he's, he's going to outgrow it if he hasn't already. He's just, he's there to prop up a division that desperately needs him there for whatever reason, because they haven't created the next Hiromu. And maybe it's because he's an outlier. You can't create what Hiromu is. But yeah. he's been doing the same thing for a very long time. And what we're running into here is uh, just anticipation for a match that I'm very much looking forward to. I can't wait until these guys get in there one-on-one -on -one and go 15 minutes. Leo Rush is a different beast in um, New Japan than I've seen him in any other promotion that's a big league promotion. Let's hope it holds up. Yeah. Yep. So, and after that one, now it's time for the New Japan Cup, Jeremy. And we have Shota, the roughneck. Shooter Shota, my goodness. So, let's talk about this one. Now, he's in there with Yujiro, who I mentioned is about the only bad wrestler in the company, really. Uh, there are a couple of guys who are physically unable to do it, but Yujiro is physically able. He just isn't good enough to really have good matches. So, uh, I know I'm being rough on the guy here, but. I think Shota did everything he could. By the way, we talked about yo, Shota looked cut. He mm -hmm. was, I mean, he has changed his body quite a bit too. And uh, we've mentioned that they're trying to to make him into the next Tanahashi. I think they're going to eventually succeed. Not quite there yet, but I think the signs are in good shape here. Some interesting stuff before here, Jeremy, uh, in the post-match comments, Shota Umino talked about while he was a little boy that young lion yes. Yujiro used to play catch with them and they'd hang out when, you know, Yujiro's was a young lion, of course, uh, red shoes, main event referee. And, uh, you know, little Shota was running around ringside and in the locker room and things. And he mentioned he even wrote letters to Yujiro while Yujiro was on excursion. So he brought some of that past up and then says that, uh, you know, while he used to think a lot of Yujiro, he doesn't anymore and has lost his respect for him. So, this was a basic standard Yujiro match. You're, it's only going to be able. It's, it's only you're only going to be able to make it so good. He doesn't do a lot. Uh, show came out for a distraction. Uh, Yujiro went for a low blow, but it was blocked. Uh, he managed to hit the uh, Olympic Slam, which is called the Intercollegiate Slam, when he <laughs> hits it. Uh, and then he got a pimp juice, but that was kicked out of. And then Show got the distraction again, and the low blow worked. But he set up the walking stick shot, so we went and got his big cane. And uh, tried to hit uh, Shota with it, but Shota ducked. Then he, in a clever move, uh, Sho, sensing danger, tried to help and instead ended up being the ropes for a satellite DDT. He just used Sho uh, to uh, prop himself up to hit a satellite DDT on Yujiro. Then he hit the Death Rider on Sho. Then he hit the Death Rider on Yujiro and got the victory. So 
story of this one was just overcoming House of Torture. This like showed us just too much for these guys now. This I felt though was a smart matchup for Shota. I still believe he's doing a deep run in this tournament and will have other big singles matches for this one. I think it was intelligent to put him in with Yujiro one to get him a win. Second, no ambiguity. The issue with him facing Naito in the past is that half or most of the fans were rooting for Naito. Even the bullet club fans don't like house torture. So when he's in there with Yujiro, everyone is on Shota's side. And I think that's what he needs. He needs to have the fans just solidly like rooting for him and try to build that momentum. So I think this was a smart way to do it. And I do think that people are. Yeah, I think Brad's right. I think people are uh, in, in, in with him now. I think they're getting behind him. But having him in with House of Torture, the one thing that nobody likes, I think was a smart move. I am starting to really believe now that we are getting to talk about the next match that Shota may just end up getting a win over Zack Sabre Jr. and then cut in his track when he meets the uh, heelish momentum of David Finley that seems to uh, be the... Be what I'm reading in the tea leaves, but let's talk about that because that is maybe the big news of this free show that got you interested because of the headline of Okada and Tanahashi defending together, but they wanted you to watch because of this. This was very intriguing to me. It wasn't a shock when Ghetto came out with David Finlay. I think we probably suspected that's where it was going. We mentioned on the show a couple weeks ago. Bullet Club tends to overthrow their leaders, not have a peaceful transition of power here. We weren't sure if Finlay beating up Jay White after hitting him with a shillelagh after Jay White lost his loser leaves New Japan match. And, you know, was he was about to do the speech, which we were kind of hoping was the whole I actually love you people type of uh, speech. We didn't get it. Uh, Finlay being a dick knocked him out first, <laughs> a jerk. And then. Uh, yeah, what it wasn't explicitly said. Of course, Ghetto wasn't there and all that, so we weren't really sure, but we had a feeling, right? So when he mm-hmm. came out, though, his hair is dyed black with some highlights in it. He's got a new, he's got all new outfit. Of course, was it a Rebel Club? Uh, and Rebel then Club. Ghetto's with him. This is a good heel look for the dude. I, I really like the new look, and I, I think he looks sinister in a very good way without being cheesy. He wrestled this match very angry against Tomohiro Ishii. He was very aggressive, much more than usual. No goofiness at all. Ishii is great for this kind of match, and this is the perfect opponent to put him in with in the first round, someone who can get over a match like that. Uh, his version of the Ushiguroshi looked terrific, and it was the finish. I thought, Jeremy, this was a good heel debut. There's more work to be done, and his oh, next yeah. few singles matches are going to be important. But he came out aggressive. He came out looking pissed. He came out with a whole new look that gave him that dangerous aura. And I I think it was a very healthy heel debut for David Finley here. What did you think about this? So I told you personally that I felt like he was dialed to 11 on his debut. And he was, you're out of 10 and you've dialed it all the way to 11. And you look at this picture of him and he's got the dyed, he's got the dyed hair and he's got the leather. There I haven't found the AJ Styles aspect of it, but there is something that he has kind of taken from all the previous leaders of Bullet Club in his design. The beard is straight out of Jay White. 
the the two tone hair is Kenny Omega. The <laughs> shoulder pads, Evil is going to be pretty angry about the gimmick infringement on that one. There are things there that he has taken from the past and evolved through the Bullet Club. He, with those dyed eyebrows, has kind of a Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon thing going on, which wow. I hope they kind of dial down. That's what I mean by 11. It's just like everything is just so just extra. Oh, that, I like it. That y- you have to, like, you have to forget the David Finley that came before. He is gone. Like, the jean jacket and the blue denim and the white t-shirts, you're not going to see this guy anymore. This is the new and improved David Finley. He is one of the young lions, and I got to give uh, credit to uh, my friend Corey Lieb. He sniffed this from the beginning that David Finley was going to be the next leader of Bullet Club. And, you know, it's like, he's got the pedigree. He's one step below uh, Stephen Regal's kid, you know, with David Finley having all the all the legacy there. Everything is lined up for him to absolutely knock this out of the park. He's an excellent choice for this. And I kind of think that now that you've introduced him, he's the favorite to win the cup. Let's talk about this whole thing. And I'm bringing up Brad's comment here for a reason. With with House of Torture losing so much, are we in for a big storyline with them after a possible split? We have been carefully kept in the dark as mm-hmm. to the rest of Bullet Club's feelings about this. None of the rest of them were out for this match. None of them came out afterwards for this match. Now, there's plenty of time for all that to come. But I like that they didn't do it all at once. Fantasma was talking on the way back from the match how he didn't like what he saw in the back. Didn't like what he saw in the back. Now, he could be going one of two ways where he's not happy about it, or he could be doing the Jey Uso thing, you know, where he's like, you know, no, 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 no. Ah, see, I'm Bullet Club. We can wheel get to Greece. <laughs> well, or it could be just a matter of trying to sucker people in, right? You know, like, you know, I am Bullet Club for life. What do people expect? Like, I was right. going to choose you, you know. But it could also be a little bit of discontent. We don't know where Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens are in this. We don't know. So there are different factions within Bullet Club. Of course, there's Ghetto's group and all that. But Fale has his own buddies. Uh, The House of Torture has basically been its own faction for a while. We don't know yet. And I think it might possibly be a thing where House of Torture breaks away. Uh, That's possible just because they need something. You know, the House of Torture has been made to look buffoonish for six months now. It's been a while since they were portrayed they were, as anything but a bunch of bumblers. Just dog cages. Yeah. And, and, and it's just a thing where you wonder if this is a whole split. Because also that Bullet Club roster is pretty bloated. There's about If you count up everybody, and there's like a dozen guys. Mm-hmm. They don't need all of that. They can break it away. House of Torture can still be heels. Bullet Club can still be heels. Uh, and other people can go, could go, baby. I, there's a lot of ways this could go. So I, I do think some of the members of Bullet Club are going to say, nope, not him. I'm out. But I think also you're going to see some people maybe faint that direction and then come back into the fold and just say, Dave, my man, finally, you know, that type of thing. There's going to be a mix. But uh, I'm very curious to see who lands where. They've avoided the subject with everyone except El Fantasmo. Not a coincidence, Jeremy, because guess who's teaming with El Fantasmo now that the cards have been reshuffled? Ghetto the worker, getting off those cards, putting Finlay in instead. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> there you have it. So we're, we've got Finlay now we're going to be teaming with uh, 
El Fantasmo moving forward for a couple of shows, and we'll see how that goes. So a lot to a lot of layers to this uh, onion to be peeled away. I uh, I still think that the long term plan for the year has got to be Osprey and Okada, with Osprey challenging for the title and winning. But yeah. where, how far do you strap the rocket on David Finley before then potentially for a title run? or after then for a title run, especially given Finlay and Osprey's own rivalries, there is plenty to work with in the future. And it seems like a very smart strategy to invest in David Finley right now. Yeah, I definitely, uh, he's, he's in the buy instead of a sell option on that one. So we'll see how that one goes moving forward, but I have a feeling that that's going to be a storyline that plays out all the way until Genesis and maybe even after. So uh, there's the bracket. The so. bracket. Yeah. Yeah, we've got that. So we've, uh, you know, we'll there are more matches coming, and obviously we've only done uh, uh, some of the uh, only two uh, two of the four quadrants. So it a looks lot like we'll have about six or eight matches to cover by the by next show. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it, it feels like we're getting an Lij meeting there in the top left, doesn't it? It it, it sure does seem like the. Uh, Sonata potentially getting a win over Naito uh, is in the card to heat up Sonata, but you can never, ever rule out Naito. And then uh, I, I do feel like we're probably seeing Finlay and Shota there in the bottom right. That's my leaning right now. Yeah. Shota over Zach, challenge for that. Uh, we accidentally skipped over it, but it looks like Shingo Takagi and Aaron Hanare uh we probably should have oh, yeah, you're right. you're taken right. taken into account uh an upset special for Aaron Hanare to challenge for the king of pro wrestling before losing to Tamatonga. That would solve a lot of logistical problems in terms yeah. of going And you're right, I did I did gloss over that one. I apologize. That was a match that I missed. I was so excited to get to start to talk about Leo Rush and, and Hiromu that I, I skipped one. But you're right. Uh, Aaron Hanare with a clean win with the Streets of Rage over Shingo Takagi. It sets up both a possible King of Pro Wrestling title match down the line and then also uh, here uh, a preview of their singles match and throws a little bit of question into who would win that because I think Shingo was probably a seven or eight to one favorite going into that match. And now they've given uh, Hanare a solid win over him just to just to make you wonder just to make you wonder so you want to get into some of these previews for some of these match cards coming up yeah let's go into the going forward here so now we mentioned that initially because uh the for kayfabe reasons they still had david finlay listed as teaming with hantai and chaos members going forward so they kept that kayfabe up until after the anniversary show and then they reshuffled what we are going to be seeing are more tag matches with Leo and Hiromu on opposite sides. Oh my gosh. We'll, we didn't talk we'll about also, the Okada. We didn't talk about the tag match. We were we're going to do that. You're right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we got Shingo against him. I'm just doing for the, for the cup. We're also going to see Shingo and Hanare. Now Wednesday in Fukushima, uh, that's going to be the first one where Finlay teams with Kenta, Chase Owens and ELP uh, against just four guys. So that should be a bullet club win, obviously, but Will there be some issues between everybody there? You know, Kenta, Chase, and ELP with Finlay in Fukushima. Toru Yano will face Mark Davis. Ren Narita will face Evil in the Cup matches. Friday in Yamanashi, we will have Shingo versus Hanare. Yoshihashi against Kyle Fletcher. And Ooh, then check this out. Check this out. Oh, there you go. Look at this. And then we will have 
uh, on the 11th here in, uh, in Aichi, you will have Naito against Chase Owens, Sonata against Kenta, and uh, then we'll have another match that we're going to talk about in a little bit. So that, that was pretty cool, by the way. We I got, got a bunch of those for all the Yeah, all right. Well, we'll, we'll, we're we'll going to we'll get to them. We want to make, make sure we do talk about the main event before we move too much further Ooh. here. So <laughs> now this one. We had this talk with Scott last week. I felt and that this was a way to get Bijamon, who, of course, was one and done in their first title reign, a huge win to establish them further as actual champions. You know, you always feel like, uh, what's the saying goes, like you can win the title, but you're not a champion until you really defend it at least once. That time. That's the thing in boxing, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Anyone can win a belt. You can't even defend it. Bishamon against Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Here's what I felt with the tea leaves. I did not know what Kazuchika Okada would do with the IWGP tag team title. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that he, does. it's not something you have the champion, singles champion do. And Tanahashi is the perfect guy that can give you a good match and he's waterproof so he can lose. That's how I felt. That is how it turned out. However, this match was worked well enough that I started thinking, oh, maybe they are going to switch this because these four guys are that damn good. So the challengers did hold a lot of the advantage early, but I didn't feel like that's the tip off. It usually is because you have to establish no matter what, win or lose, that these two work well together. They've teamed together before. They have. And it hasn't been too successful. They they don't have a good win-loss record as a team. But they wanted to make it look like they were smooth together early. And they established Okada and Tana nicely. And then later on in the match, the advantage began to even out a little bit. And at the 15-minute mark, it felt like it was everybody anybody's game. Didn't you think, Jeremy? Or were you confident of the result anyway? Um, I I knew the result before I watched it. Oh, uh, okay. just, by, just because of circumstances. Mm-hmm. But your argument going into it was really, was really compelling. Okada's got to defend that title. And yeah. going going into the next few months, like it's possible that he's carrying around two belts, but um, there were other things in play that made me think that those tag titles were going to be staying right where they were. Okada did hit a big elbow off the top and ta- and tried to make it a combination with Tanahashi and the fl- high fly flow, but Yoshihashi got his knees up. They worked into a, a super kick into a Ushiguroshi by the Bishamon team. That's Yoshiashi and, and uh, Hiroki Goto. And then the Dodan but, uh, on Tanahashi, but Okada broke that up. Bishamon then hit Okada with a reverse GTR. So we're at that point in the match uh, where everybody's hitting their big moves on everybody. Tana with a near roll-up on Yoshihashi. That was a terrific near fall there. Uh, Tana reversed uh karma into a twist and shout that looked really good and that was at the 20 minute mark and that was time to go home because at that point they had done several spots which were brought up in commentary very nicely by kevin and chris where either yoshihashi or goto happened to each of them at least once was in a precarious position and the other one made the save with the story being that these two are so smooth and so together as a team that they have that trust that their partner is going to save them when they are in bad trouble. And Mm -hmm. Okada and Tanahashi are singles guys that don't quite have that. It came into play late where Tanahashi had Yoshihashi against the ropes, trying to give him an O'Connor roll, but Yoshihashi just hung on long enough for Goto to save him. It ended up with Yoshihashi putting uh, Tanahashi in a full Nelson. Goto had his legs up. 
They kind of did a spinning drop with both Goto and Yoshihashi getting impact on Tanahashi. That was the pin. Storyline here being in a rare moment for pro wrestling that the smooth as silk tag team that knows each other back to front and knows each other's moves before the other one knows it actually can beat two of the great singles wrestlers of its time. That story is usually told the other way because mostly it's told in WWE and Vince doesn't like tag team wrestling all that much. But it was acknowledged afterwards, even in the post-match comments. Okada was there in front of the Yoshinoya logos and everything else, just saying, boy, tag team wrestling is a whole separate animal, and those two are on a different level than everybody else. And I felt like the whole story of this, Jeremy, was that Bishamon are real main event Mm -hmm. guys. Like, this is something that we can headline a show with. I mean, these guys just beat the world heavyweight champion and one of the all-time legends. I thought a lot of this story was about reestablishing the tag team titles as a huge deal. Like the, the guys that hold the tag team belts, that's the best team in the world. You know, you can argue that of course, but I mean, in, in, within, within new Japan, the idea is that your tag team champions are the best in the world. They've just beaten two of the best singles wrestlers in the world. And that it's the machine taking out the two individuals. Uh, I thought it was an interesting story. It was a great, the match was executed wonderfully. I enjoyed every second of it Four really world-class guys. And uh, I thought it told a good, healthy story for the tag team division. It's super weird with Bishamon because they are, they're very much out of sight, out of mind. When you don't think about them, you do not think about these guys, but Brad Wright, they are a made team. Nice. They have, they won the title last year at Wrestle Kingdom. They or they won the they won the World Tag League last year. They won the World Tag League this year. They beat FTR this year for the titles, and now they're they defended and defeated the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion and a former IWGP Champion uh, in this match. And so their confidence is reinvigorated. You can see them as performers are back to a level that. Frankly, they were not wrestling at or did not have that confidence or pedigree showing in the ring on a day-to-day basis. And I said for the last year, these guys were showing up and and showing out on cards when other people were checked out. So I've got nothing bad to say about them. With that said, if they were to drop the titles in the next month or two, no harm, no foul. They They are right back to being preeminent roster members. Even Yoshihashi's probably stock has risen from his time in Bishamon. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree on one thing is I think that this is actually the beginning of a fairly strong run. I, I'm not saying they're going to hold the titles all the way until World Tag League again, but I do think that uh, it's probably part of a story where they really establish Bishamon as as the team, the standard in tag team wrestling in new Japan. They're going to go. And I, and I think that's going to include a couple of successful defenses. I don't know if it'll be against Aussie open. I, I think Aussie open will eventually hold the IWGP right. tag team titles and maybe win world tag league this year. But uh, you know, I, I do feel like they're probably going to get, this is just me reading my own tea leaves here. I feel like they're going to get a couple of successful defenses in before they drop them again. There's been a couple of times with Aussie open where they've been close, but not quite regarding Mm. those titles and they're booking them incredibly strong and if they get Mm. them to the point where they are in a tag match for the titles with bishamon i fear for bishamon's chances going forward just because aussie open are younger shinier and newer 
But Bishamon has nothing to be embarrassed about or to look bad about with this run. They showed up and showed out for however long they're going to have these titles. All right. Well, let's take a look at some of these uh, things going forward in the New Japan Cup. Bishamon's going to hold it. They're in the New Japan Cup. Bishamon is both members. So uh, they're not wrestling in the cup uh, quite this well. Yoshihashi is. Never mind. He's going to be facing Kyle Flair. But let's talk about some of these. So, again, uh, in uh, tomorrow morning uh, in Fukushima, it's going to be Toru Yano and Mark Davis. So what do we know about Yano here in the cup history? Uh, 18 years. He's been there 18 consecutive years. Uh, boy, four-time semifinalist. How about that one? Yeah. Infographic to kind of credit to the Chris Samson on Twitter, friend of the show. I just yeah. want to make sure that everyone knows that he is responsible for these amazing graphics that he did and also researched on his own. So had to get that out there before we get too deep into these. Chris is just a wonderful resource for anyone who loves New Japan, and, and he, uh, he takes that unique – statistical approach to it uh, that's really enjoyable and uh, you know because ghetto's booking is particularly suited for it so i always check his stuff out so this is pretty cool right there yano the only wrestler in the quadrant he's beaten in a single match is evil how about that i i, I don't expect that to change i, I do think that mark davis is going to win this he he seems to have he's 11 and 6 in first round ninja cup yeah, matches so sure. yano is the perennial one and dunner so it doesn't shock <laughs> me on that one all right, what do you got to Kyle Fletcher? Nothing. <laughs> what can you say? There it is. Uh, you know, it's uh, he's only had one singles match in the last 365 days. Look Japan, at that mean so. face that guy's given us on that screen. <laughs> he looks 12, doesn't he? He does look 12. In that in that picture, he looks 12 anyway. So. All right, we got Ren Narita and Evil, right? Yeah. Let's see what well, how's Ren doing here. This is his debut, of course, but. Uh, you see, he's been doing a lot of singles matches lately, and uh, three guys making their debut, and uh, four and one uh, since returning from his excursion. So, uh, it's he has the never open weight six man titles, so that might limit his run in this tournament just because they don't need him to go too far because the storyline is really with Suzuki and Desperado. But can't count him out, can you? Well, I mean, we can't, but then again, look who we're facing. There you go. And uh, look at that New Japan Cup record. This is a guy that they usually put over once or twice before sending him on his way. Look at those shoulder pads. Of course he's mad at Finley. <laughs> this is what this is what the rift is going to be over? The, the, oh, the... man. Stealing my look, stealing my gimmick, stealing my leadership. I'd be angry, too. I'd be evil. <laughs> That was beautifully done. All right. So after that, we have, I, I can't add to that. I certainly can't top it. Right, uh, we we're going <laughs> to, we got Mark Davis again. Yeah. This is uh, his, his debut there. So there's Mark and uh, yeah, we've got that. And uh, who else? He's oh, a beast. She... And I feel somewhat scared for Yoshihashi on a one-on-one -on -one match with this, with this gentleman, to be perfectly honest. And we talked about it too. Is the Bishamon after this this high right here might uh, need a new challenger? So obviously, getting a win over one or both of the tag team champions in the tournament would send Aussie Open on the way to a, sh a title shot. So. Look at the shade in the notes. <laughs> that oh, let's see. In the third round, of the New Japan Yoshihashi lost in two minutes flat. Third shortest match of all time. You know, this tournament hasn't been great to him, though. You look, he's got a losing record in it uh, against the Quadrant, and he's, you know, so okay, this so tournament clear, has not been good to, be to Yoshi. Clear to, to be clear to the listeners that aren't watching, in the third round of the 2020 New Japan Cup, 
Yoshihashi lost to Evil in two minutes flat. Also known as the third shortest New Japan Cup match of all time. This yeah. might not be promising statistics going forward in this cup for Yoshihashi. So his all-time record seven and nine there. So, that's, that's, so and we yeah. got we got Shingo, Shingo who should be a favorite. Four years in a row in this one. He's eight and three. He has a, sing, a six and one record against his quadrant. He is 16 and five in the last years in singles records. Of course, one of the more protected guys in the company. And uh, he was eliminated in the first round in 2020, but he has reached the final and semifinal the last two years. And uh, we do not, uh, well, I don't know. What do you, do you think Hanari is going to beat him again? I think Hanari is going to beat him again. I mm. think, I think this is a fine King of Pro Wrestling match for Sakura Genesis. All-time New Japan Cup record for Hanare, one and three. Uh, he has no singles wins against his quadrant. He's lost all three. And his singles record in the last year, 10 and eight. So his only victory occurred in the first round of the 2022 tournament. He defeated y Yudo Nakashima, a young lion, in eight minutes and 40 seconds. So uh, this tournament has been rough on Hanare historically. So you, you feel like uh, that he's going to uh, put some, put some uh, check marks in the good column in this one. I think he's going to at least put one in there before Tamatonga, you know, just cuts him off at the knees. All right. What else we got for the for this one here? Uh, those are all I have now because those are really the only matches that we are going to be having until our next show. And so Fair I enough. wanted to make sure that I had the proper cards for the right stuff and we didn't yeah. start getting ahead of ourselves on matches we assume are going to go a certain way and <laughs> they go another because that's already happened and that went well for us. So, so again, are, are our brackets still alive? Yeah, they kind of are. I mean, you know, like Sonata's in there. We had Sonata going pretty deep once we took all the votes. I, you know, I, I I will admit that I expressed concern about having Sonata go so deep, but right now Nido's it doesn't look too bad. Alive. Nido's still alive. So I'm feeling all right. Shota's in there. Shota's in there. Didn't get I mean, you know, still in there. Finley's I'm a little worried about that bracket at the end of who's going to survive <laughs> of, the, of the four, but, but uh, the consensus said Shota and. He might show to us a good time in the New Japan Cup. Seriously, oh. seriously. Oh yeah, you were doing you were doing so well. No, no, thing. no. I'm a, I I am consistent. I'm it's not good or bad. I'm just consistent. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna pull a hamstring reaching for the stretching for that one. Be careful now. Uh, so well, all right now well, again we have other shows so let's talk about that real quick Aichi uh, Naito versus Chase Owens that's uh, a second rounder uh, Sonata against Kenta second rounder and then an interesting match in Aichi I think here uh, Jeremy and that's on the 11th which I guess is what Saturday uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Okada teaming again against Ren Narita and Shota Umino on that card it's an interesting tag match I remember that was the uh, that was the match that led Scott Edwards to think that there might be a title change. Yeah. But yeah, Narita and Umino as a team against Tanahashi and Okada. Interesting. I wonder though. if that might be setting up uh, maybe a program with Umino and Tanahashi. I don't know. That's that question. would be fun. So on Sunday, March 12th, they'll be in Shiga and Monday, March 13th, all that before we're going to have a lot of shows to watch again. Uh, uh, the second round matches. So for kayfabe reasons, no card has been announced for either one of those, just because uh, theoretically we don't know what the second round matches are going to be. Therefore, we don't know who has got to go in the tag team matches. Previous. So uh, no matches announced for those cards as of yet, except that there will be two uh, second round matches on each. So there you have it. So, Jeremy, hmm. we've seen some people turn up on uh, Ring of Honor 
uh, from New Japan yes, Wrestling. Uh, what what are your thoughts uh, and uh, what what have you seen that you like, didn't like? What uh, is coming up that you like and don't like? So, Ring of Honor. I I have committed to buying the Supercard of Honor in order to potentially review it at some point for whatever reason because of the New Japan adjacency. Okay. But I did a wait and see to see if what New Japan content would be available on New Japan World for Ring of Honor. And as of right now, we have the Zack Sabre Jr. versus Blake Christian 15-minute New Japan TV title. But there is a Ring of Honor hub on New Japan World. It is in the English section, and you can find it there. It is very similar to the Impact content in which Recently, they have put up Shane Hayes versus Speedball Mike Bailey, the Motor City Machine Guns versus the tag team now dubbed the ABC. Do you know who the ABC is, Stephen Conway? No, help me out on that one. Ace Austin and Chris Bay are the ABC, known as the Ace and Bay Connection. And I got to tell you, that's a pretty slick nickname for a team. That's That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That that's the kind of that's the kind of wit and pun that that'll get you to stop dead cold in your tracks on a show like this. Um, so we're going to get this programming, and this is important to me because I do not personally want to feel like I have to invest in Ring of Honor or Impact monetarily to watch these matches featuring New Japan talent. For this cooperation, this is much more palatable to me as a fan who casually wants to catch up with my New Japan content this way. So the one match that I was able to catch on Ring of Honor that was made available to me so far was the Zack Sabre Jr. versus Blake Christian match. Boy, Zack Sabre Jr. just comes across as such a huge star on anywhere that he he goes. The slate that we have for the cover is from the Ring of Honor uh, taping uh, taken by J.J. Williams, and I wanted to give him credit for that. But it was... It was an exhibition match, just like he's been doing with Clark Connors. And just a 15-minute, you know what you're getting, the strong work rate. Uh, you're not going into these matches thinking that these guys are going to beat Zack Sabre Jr. on a non-New Japan card. But that's not the point. The point is to just have good talent and good shows and you know, put together a Ring of Honor card that is taking the New Japan, that is taking some impact, that is taking these talents that are all over the all over the place and putting it together so that there is kind of a consistent forbidden door if you will you don't have the time in the real estate on aew dynamite and aew rampage to be doing these new japan crossovers because you have your own product to be doing but right now ring of honor does not have a television program they can basically just come and go if they please and put on a wrestling show and determine from that point on what they're going to do when they get a when they get a television contract and are removed from honor club or potentially what they do with youtube or whatnot maybe that'll change but right now we may or may not have a little bit of a utopia and ring of honor made even better by the cooperation of allowing people to watch that content on native platforms like impact plus or new japan world so that you are not feeling like it's an extra, like you have to, it's extra cost in order to breach this bigger world of wrestling and introduce to other other promotions. 
Have you caught any of it? Have you, what are your thoughts? Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see, of course, like everybody else is like Tony Khan is exactly where, uh, Ring of Honor's TV ends up if it does mm-hmm. end up anywhere. So, and then I, like I said, we'll have to see how all that goes with, uh, new Japan guys being on there for the most part when they, you know, when, when Finn Juice challenged for the Impact Tag Team titles against the Good Brothers and things, that did turn up on New Japan World. So I, I haven't been sweating it in the way that New Japan usually works out something so that those matches can show up for their fans in, in Japan. And I find that to be a healthy thing for everybody involved. It, it, uh, to be honest with you, it's the most impact I've watched in a while is those sure. matches that come across in there. And it, it lets you know that there is some stuff worth watching over there. Not that it, I don't mean that to be insulting to the impact, but it can remind you that, oh, maybe I should check that out on Axis once in a while. So I think if done correctly and carefully and with respect to all the uh, companies involved, it can be healthy for everyone. Yeah, I just I did not want New Japan World to feel like a secondary promotion that Mm. you had to pay to watch their content on another platform. That to me was my biggest hindrance to words like feeling like this was a true cooperation between two promotions. So if you can watch Ring of Honor and you can watch, I don't know, New Japan matches where Ring of Honor guys go over there and wrestle in New Japan, I think that's going to be the true test of the cooperation here Yeah, uh, and seeing how that goes. Is this a one-way street? Is this a two-way street? Is this a match-by-match basis? I'm very curious about how it goes forward. Okay. Well, we'll have to look at that. Of course, the changing TV landscape, we know that uh, MLW seems to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, there's uh, just a lot of things, uh, a lot of dominoes to fall in uh, in, in TV when it comes real to Real bad news. Real bad news. And then, I mean, that's not going to I'm sorry, real bad news. Real bad news. It's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that took you that long to get to that. No, no, I did it the first time. You didn't pick it up. <laughs> I didn't pick it up. The... With with Ring of Honor, boy, you know, another hour of programming on. Uh, I, I tell you what, Jeremy, wouldn't bother me a bit if some form of Ring of Honor just replaced Rampage, which right now sure. is a show that is dying on the vine because it doesn't feel like Rampage. it's... I don't watch it very often at all, and it just feels like they're not trying that hard. If it was a separate show with separate storylines that wove into AEW... Uh, instead of feeling like WCW Thunder, if you remember that show on Thursday mm-hmm. nights that lasted a little while, uh, I think that might be a healthier use of resources. But again, that a lot of that depends on Turner. If if Turner doesn't, if, if Turner worries that Ring of Honor wouldn't have the same cachet AEW does, then it's a whole thing you got to talk to them about. But. It was super strange because when I went to Rampage, they were they have to tape around, you know, like it's mm-hmm. just one hour, but you have to like give people a show. All the dark matches were all Ring of Honor adjacent programming. Uh, you had the Josh Woods, you had the Athena, you had the Willow Nightingale, Brian Cage. Everything that they were doing was all dark, dark elevation programming for the Ring of Honor brand. And that's mm. all well and good. And it's all just, and you can slap an AEW on there and have Ring of Honor like angles going on the YouTube show because it doesn't matter. But it also, if you're a canny fan of AEW, you look at that like, oh, this, this isn't this doesn't matter. Like this mm-hmm. isn't a big deal. And kind of killed the Cal Palace with that, but mm-hmm. uh you live and you learn. I feel like we we talked about it in other shows, but 
it felt like the Cal Palace was a bucket list item that Tony wanted to run uh, and get it out of the system. And I hope he's gotten it out of the system and he runs somewhere else instead. <laughs> it's it's a very historic building, of course. Most people know. Still historic. Uh, it's ancient. Away, well, yeah, it's it'll be historic until they knock it over. But uh, this was the company that Roy Shire's promotion ran their shows in for decades in San Francisco. Of course, Ray Stevens, Pat Patterson, uh, the Samoans. Uh, funny story about the Samoans out of San Francisco. If you were here, like the Samoans, Afa and Sika were wrestling fans that would go to the Cow Palace and fight with the heels all the time. Like they were so into it, they would fight <laughs> with the heels. And there's a story, it might be apocryphal, but I kind of believe it, that they went to Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens, who were the top heels at the time, and just said, hey, you know those kids that are always getting in trouble and fighting you guys and things. Uh, yeah, uh, well, we're... Uh, Look, don't be mad, but we're going to bring them in and trade them. And their reaction was, oh, thank God, I can take work punches from them now. <laughs> uh, so that was a story with the uh, with Afa and Sika. That changed but, history. <laughs> yeah, it did, didn't it? And, I, yeah. you know, that was where Pedro Morales was first noticed because he was a big star over there. And Gorilla Monsoon went uh, to work for Roy Shire and thought, man, this there's this guy, this Puerto Rican guy, Pedro Morales is over like gangbusters. You need somebody to replace Bruno. We've got a lot of Puerto Ricans in New York might work, you know? Uh, and Pedro ended up getting the WWF title, a WWF title run. San Francisco history comes through the cow palace there. Mm -hmm. And it is a, uh, it's a historic building, but like you said, uh, it, the, you, it's hard to go back to that when you have modern arena amenities and uh, it, cannot, it is an old it is an old barn ain't it i cannot understate to you how shitty it is <laughs> i it believe the san francisco what was it, it, at one at one point the san francisco warriors played there didn't they no they never played there they uh they are they played in oakland Oh crud! Really? Okay. Well, yeah, they were. They were. I mean, they might have played a long, long time ago, but yeah, like not time. recently. No, they were. Okay. They were in Oakland, okay. uh, right, right next to the Coliseum where the the A's and the Raiders were playing before the Raiders left. There's a I'll giant facility, up. and then they moved to the Chase Center just recently, yeah. uh, where we Maybe. saw Revolution. Beautiful building. I have nothing yeah. but beautiful things to say. One of the best <laughs> arenas I've ever been to. Let's move on to our next topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked a couple weeks ago about the great Muda and his very early career. Of course, Keiji Muto having the big Tokyo Dome show to say goodbye. Wanted to talk a little bit more Muto history here, if you don't mind. And uh, one of the things where we, we wanted to speak of, we left off when he went on excursion and he had gone through a little bit of Florida, but he had gone through mostly Texas and Puerto Rico. So he had finished up his run in Texas and Gary Hart was a manager, uh, both in the, of course, a long time associated with uh, the Van Eriks and, and world-class wrestling in and out of uh, that. He booked the beginning of the Freebird feud there uh, and uh, then, uh, you know, left not too long, but just as that one kind of got cooking. But Hart was always around and he ended up returning back to Texas and being part of uh, the great Muda there. Now, of course, he was Super Black Ninja, in uh, which had to do with his outfit there, the Super Black Ninja in world class. Build, uh, and, and of course, Gary Hart had brought the great Kabuki and made a lot of money being the great Kabuki's manager and mouthpiece uh, for years and years. Well, Gary recognized a talent when he saw one, and he recognized an opportunity to glom onto it and hang onto it for dear life. So he attached himself surgically, I believe, to uh, Keiji Muto, and got him in with the Crockets. So he moved over to 
uh, world championship wrestling yeah, from uh, Texas. And, and of course, the world-class territory was starting to die out, to be honest. Of course, a lot of tragedies with the Von Erichs and uh, all the things that happened there as that uh, company began to fall apart. And time to leave. Luckily for Muda and luckily for Hart, uh, world championship wrestling understood that they had a special talent on his hands. So Super Black Ninja was renamed the Great Muda. He was uh, given Gary Hart as his mouthpiece. Uh, which is a good idea. Muda was not ready for English and uh, still isn't really. He never did bother to pick it up too much and didn't need to. Didn't need to. It, it was more mysterious not speaking. Gary Hart brought him in. Uh, and then, you know, it was one of those things where he debuted at a TV taping uh, and he uh, had a squash match there. He also faced a junkyard dog at his first uh, WCW TV taping. Lost that one by DQ. That's going to be a theme with the great Muda. And at first, he worked mostly just TV tapings. And they put him in with really good workers, though. So there were a couple of them, not Chunkyard Doug, but uh, <laughs> never mind that one. But guys like George South, Rip Rogers, uh, you know, th these guys were terrific wrestlers. So they gave him a little bit of a better situation than other guys. I think they kind of understood uh, that this was uh, something important. Also, Steve Casey, who was a very solid worker. Uh, they put him in with Steve Casey a lot. And then he worked with Eddie Gilbert once uh, also, uh, and then he would come into play a little bit later. On April 23rd of 1989, he faced TV champion Sting for the very first time, which is a DQ loss in Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, that was not for TV. It was a little bit of a tester match to see how the chemistry was. And Sting and Muda had chemistry right from the beginning, and they knew exactly which program they wanted to point him toward. Uh, in May, he won a three-on-one handicap match at a TV taping, just to give you an idea of how hard they were pushing the great Muda. He was beating multiple opponents. And at first, he just went around the horn. There was still a big house show circuit back then. And he was beating Doug Gilbert, Steve Casey. Again, really good workers. So he was having decent matches over there and winning those. Building him up, building him up. And, of course, Gary Hart would be on TV every week talking him up and talking about Sting. They went back to Sting in Richmond, Virginia, another disqualification loss there. Then Charleston, South Carolina, Baltimore, Chicago, same result. So now they're going with it full time. He is now chasing Sting for the world TV title. He even went over Scott Steiner at the end of May. Now, that was before Scott was Big Papa Pump and all that, but he's moving his way up the card. After that, Ricky Steamboat. More DQ losses, but with opponents like Sting, Steamboat, Steiner, Eddie Gilbert, it showed that they were really into what they were seeing. Like this was a guy that they were taking very, very seriously. They moved into the Great American Bash Tour. Now, what they did with this one was, again, Gary Hart's calling out Sting constantly. You're scared of the Great Muda. The Great Muda's going to get you and all this stuff. They came up with these things that are called Dragon She matches. That's a S-H-I, Dragon She matches. It involved fire. You know, because of course he was using the mist and things. And in through most of the Great American Bash Tour in 1989, he was beating Eddie Gilbert by count out in these Dragon She matches. So he would shoot the fireball at Gilbert and get, he would get counted out. And all along, Gary Hart is challenging Sting over and over again, saying Muda's after him. And what happened was Eddie Gilbert was the one that kind of stepped in front of Sting and saying, I'll take your guy on, which of course was, you know, the number four baby face, number five baby face, losing to the guy on the way to the number one guy. Fair enough. Sure. At the bash, uh, Muda also beat Scott Hall 
uh, in Marietta, Georgia. Uh, and I, I don't even know if he was the diamond stud yet at that point. It was, I think he might've still been just Scott Hall, uh, Rick Steiner in Springfield, Scotty. Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Randy Rose in Memphis at the mid South Coliseum. That's a, a, of course the, that's the home base of the Memphis territory. Randy Rose was a big Memphis. I had, had had runs in Memphis before. Uh, they did. Here's the, I thought this was funny. Instead of doing the dragon, she match, they did a coal miners glove match with Eddie Gilbert in Philadelphia, probably because Philadelphia was like, no fire, no fire in our building. We don't want fire in here. So, uh, that was probably not allowed. And at the Bay preview in Baltimore. So the bash was a tour that went around, uh, all the house show, the major towns, and then they would have a pay-per-view at the end or toward the end. I think there were some bash cards even after the pay-per-view, but the pay-per-view was in Baltimore that year. And Sting beat Great Muda to hand him his uh, first non-disqualification loss in a TV title match. That was Muda's first job, so to speak. Every other loss had been by DQ, probably because he blew mist on somebody or threw fire or Gary Hart interfered, that type of thing. They protected him. He lost, but he didn't get beat. Uh, and I, I thought this was interesting, that pay-per-view in Baltimore. Would you like to hear some of the other matches, just to put sure. it in context? Uh, the main event, NWA World Heavyweight title, Ric Flair defeated Terry Funk in 17 minutes, 23 seconds. Hell yes. Uh, War Games match, Road Warrior Animal, Road Warrior Hawk, The Midnight Express, and Steve Dr. Death Williams defeated Fatu, Terry Gordy, Michael Hayes, Jimmy Garvin, and Samu. Jeez. How about that? Pretty one? good card so far. <laughs> Lex Luger defeated Rick Steamboat by disqualification for the U.S. title. Good luck, Rick. Uh, that one, uh, Lex Luger wrestled a long time. wasn't good for any of those years. Uh, and oh. but uh, Sting and uh, Great Muda were sixth on that card uh, in their title match. The Steiner brothers defeated the Varsity Club, Mike Rotunda and Kevin Sullivan, just before them. And and this is my favorite here. Uh, you had the <laughs> a tuxedo match. Jim Cornette defeated Paulie dangerously. So you get you Jim could Cornette. Have that match now. You could do that match now. <laughs> Turn into a shoot. Uh, they, uh, yeah, Cornette again defeated Paulie dangerously. And who doesn't look at Jim Cornette and Paulie dangerously and say, boy, I hope one of them gets a clothes torn off? Not me. Who would have Ole thought? Anderson. Ole me. Anderson, your booker, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Ole Anderson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sting, uh, oh, he got his first win over Sting at the Keel Auditorium on August 5th. That was a non-title match. That was in St. Louis, uh, the legendary Keel Auditorium. And then they went back to Sting matches after that bash tour. So they had everyone had seen Muda like beating Eddie Gilbert and things like that. And then at the pay-per-view, we lost to Muda, but then they went back to it again, doing DQs and no contests and things. Uh, sometimes Steve Williams and Scott Hall got thrown in there, but it was mostly he and Sting. Muda finally defeated Sting on September 3rd at the Omni in Atlanta to win the TV title. On the 12th, only a few days later there, uh, at Fall Brawl, Sting and Flair teamed up to beat Muda and Dick Slater. Dick Slater and Terry Funk had been brought in to Gary Hart's stable. This was all going to be building to what would become a very famous Halloween Havoc match. So uh, now you've got a crew, right? you got the great Muda, you got Dick Slater, you got Terry Funk. He defended the TV title against Sting, Dick Murdoch, losing almost every time by disqualification. Right? It just If you look down the results there, it was just DQ, DQ, DQ. Uh, but he was still the champion. He faced Flair in a singles match for the first time in Baltimore on October 14th. Gets the finish. You're right. It's DQ. Uh, he started working tags with Slater and Funk against various combinations of Ric Flair, Brian Pillman, and Sting. And then at Halloween Havoc, they had the Thunderdome cage match. Do you remember this? No. So... 
Get ready for this one. Just to just to make sure we book the living shit out of this. Listen to this one. So we have a Thunderdome cage match. This is, and get ready for it, an electrified steel cage. Now, it's an electrified cage. Tina Turner Rick, around? Ric Flair and Sting facing Terry Funk and the Great Muda. Each team has a guy with a towel. Of course, it's Gary Hart for the heels, and it's Ole Anderson for the baby faces. The guest referee for this is Bruno Sammartino. So there you go. That's the main event, the Thunderdome cage match. So the whole uh, the thing ended up with uh, Terry Funk in Ric Flair's figure four. Uh, that well, and before we get to the finish, there was a moment actually where some of the decorations they had this. It's, it it was keep in mind this is like in the late eighties WCW, so everything was very plastic it and cheesy. Had, it had an aesthetic that you you know of, yeah. So part of the damn set caught fire on the cage and the electrified <laughs> cage. So they're looking at this and they're like, how do we put out this dag on fire? And Muta actually climbed up what was supposed to be an electrified cage, but it kind of gave it away. The damn thing was on fire. I had to do something about this. So he just climbed the cage and blew mist on the fire and put it out. So I mean, considering the situation, that did look pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's one way to break kayfabe and keep kayfabe at the same time. <laughs> so, yeah, a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, what are you going to do? Cancel the man? You cancel the man? Mood of myth is more powerful than an electrical cage. An electrical <laughs> cage. The electrified cage did not come into the match at all. They like almost dropped the idea. At one point, like Sting climbed up, and I guess they decided to say the top of it was electrified because he reached up at one point and like snapped his hand back like he had taken a little bit of a jolt, but didn't really play into that, anything after that. Well, how how could you, right? Good. So anyway, uh, the finish was interesting. The heart. Uh, uh, so Terry Funk is in the figure four with Ric Flair. He's in agony. He's dying. His leg is breaking. He's bending six different directions, blah, blah, blah. Gary Hart refuses to throw in the towel, even though Funk is begging him to throw in the towel. Uh, finally, uh, Ole Anderson comes in, decks Gary Hart. The towel flies out of Hart's hand and lands on Bruno Sammartino's shoulder, who sees it and calls for the bell because obviously Gary Hart threw in the towel. So they even did a screw job on that. So, uh, you know, the, I love and but, hate pro wrestling all at once sometimes. <laughs> by November, Muta had moved on to Ric Flair. So the sting part of this feud had kind of worked itself out. Everybody had seen it a couple of times now around the horn. So he moved on to singles matches with Ric Flair across the board. More DQ losses. Ole Anderson had a pattern as a booker. <laughs> he didn't want to beat Muda very much at all. But in late, in late in November of that year, after coming in in February, the losses started to get a little cleaner. Fewer disqualifations. In Starcade 89, there was an Ironman tournament where it was a round robin with four singles wrestlers and four tag teams. And what would happen is they would each face the other people in the round robin. So it was a one-night round robin. So you would have three matches. And Muda went 0-3. He lost to uh, Flair, Sting, and Lex Luger. So writing is on the wall at this part, at this I mean, point. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> His final record, you know, for a legendary run, I mean, he's known as being the great Muda in the United States. If you mention great Muda, a lot of people know him. His record was 58 wins, 69 losses, and seven draws, despite being heavily pushed the whole time because he did so many DQ finishes. And you can, uh, if, you, it, it, I'll say, if you can create a lasting memory, it doesn't matter like some of those winter losses. Yeah. Well, nobody had seen anything like him before. I remember right. so, I remember when, when Muda came in, like the, the handspring elbow, no one. 
in the United States have done anything like that. He still has a cool looking elbow drop where he kind of comes off the ropes and he does that just the way he steps mm-hmm. and the way he drops. And I always said that Keiji Mudo slash Great Muda was one of the more explosive wrestlers. Like the way he moved, he could go from zero to 60 like nobody else. Like right. when he would just snap that thing up in that very quick backbreaker and then scamper up the ropes and hit that thing. No one had the fast twitch like he did that fast twitch muscles like he did. And so he looked different and he worked different, certainly than, than, you know, that a lot of people think that when they think Japanese wrestlers, they go to Mr. Saito and Mr. Fuji throwing right. salt in the WWF and Saito in that team uh, was a terrific wrestler, but WWF style was that you're kick and punch and throw salt. Uh, so that was what we were used to with Japanese wrestlers. So Muda looked different. Certainly great Kabuki didn't do a whole lot either. Again, you know, just kind of short little karate moves and missed and all that. So he looked different. In uh, January 2nd, uh, 1990, he lost the TV title to Arn Anderson. And uh, after that, they brought in uh, Kendo Nagasaki, who he was associated with early in his uh, run in the United States. Uh, he was uh, brought in to pair up with Muda and Buzz Sawyer and things, and they just pretty much just kind of lost on the way out. So his last match of his WCW run was almost a year to the day from his first one. Not quite a year, but uh, it was in Corpus Christi, a cage match loss with Buzz Sawyer and the Dragon Master to Flair, Ole, and Arn. And uh, then it was time to head back to Japan. So he came back uh, a little while later, and it was interesting to hear. Now, we mentioned when he left, he was in the mix with Antonio Inoki and Tatsumi Fujinami and Kengo Kimura. He left as, as a pretty big star and uh, then was gone for another year. But this is a, 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 he was really poised to take the top spot then. And we're going to talk about that next time as to what happened to him there and where New Japan was at the time. Because when he came back, there was a name, a new kid in the opening matches uh, uh, when he returned to Japan named Minoru Suzuki. So, by the way, I just thought that was interesting. So by the time he comes back, it's Minoru Suzuki as the young lion to give you an idea of the time Ugh, frame. We're wow. talking about <laughs> so anyway, we'll get more into that in, in coming weeks, talk more about Muda and his return to Japan and his uh, ascent to the very top of uh, the company. Excellent work, my friend, as always. Excellent oh, work. I had fun uh, putting that together. It was a lot of a, a lot of a lot of uh, reminiscing there because I was a big fan of both WWF and WCW at the time, and Muda was pretty damn cool. So I was surprised by his win loss record because yeah, I guess we always saw him win on TV, but uh, uh, Muda was pretty cool. So I had fun going back and remembering some of these. I, I always learn something when I'm talking about this stuff with you. Um, okay, so do you have any social media stuff that you want to push or anything like that? Well, I was just on the Five Star Joshi Show with Scott Edwards last week. I encourage everyone to go back and listen to that. We talked about my uh, journey through uh, becoming a stardom fan and how I did it and and what I think of some of the stuff there. And uh, especially if you're like me, just getting into stardom because New Japan has been bringing them into the fold and making them part of the story. And, uh, you know, perhaps you always knew that stardom was really good, but you hadn't watched it. It's really good. And uh, but we also go in we also talk about some of the current storylines and the factions and the situations and, and how to become a fan of, of stardom and get into the story a little bit. Uh, I encourage everyone to do that. It's been a great time for me. So that's what I did. Of course. And I have at Stephen Conway 88 on Twitter and ringside replay.com. How about you? 
So I just want to go back one more time. Thank Chris Samsa for the infographic design and credit. Very cool. Really helpful information there. Title photography, credit to JJ Williams, Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Will you see that amazing Zach Saber Jr. photo from Ring of Honor? We have a Discord. The Discord is now live. Invite public are closed, but if you would like to join, email gg at fightgamemedia.com. Tell them that you heard it on the Speaking of Strong Style show, and he will get you set up into the Discord. In the Discord, if you are a member of the Patreon, $5 a month for Fight Game Media, you can get some perks in the Discord. You can also get access to the great episodes full of Break for Impact with Mike Gilbert and J.D. Oliva, the Dynamite show with Paul Fontaine and Jeff Hawkins, which is live reactions of Dynamite every Wednesday night immediately after the show, as well as WCW 96, which is Garrett Gonzalez and John LaRocca recapping the year that was in WCW 96. These are all the things that we offer to you at Fight Game Media. I have done my hard push. I'm calling it a day. Steven, take it out. All right. Thank you very much for watching, everybody. And, of course, the podcast version of this will be up soon. And uh, for Jeremy Feinstone, I'm Stephen Conway. Thank you again for joining us for Speaking of Strong Style. Plenty of shows coming up next week. It's going to be a lot to talk about. Make sure you join us here live, uh, and we will see you then. Take care, and we'll be back with more soon.